Hello and good afternoon. I'm Emma Hogan. And I'm Eileen Bravo. And welcome back to another episode of... Reasons Why Humans Don't Deserve Animals. Animals in World War One impacted the efficiency. They made everything go much smoother. Animals like horses were used for fighting before 1914, until cavalries came to the realization that soldiers on horseback were not winning the war. So they were used for transportation instead. Dogs were introduced into war to send by soldiers and guards and giving them warning sounds like barks or howling. Today we're going to explain the amazing roles that all different types of animals in World War I did. Starting off, we have horses. Horses along with mules, elephants, camels, and donkeys were used for carrying lots of different heavy material like ammunition and dead bodies. What if an elephant died? Who would carry them? Well, assuming that when they would die, the soldiers did not have the facilities to carry or nor bury them on the battlefield, so they did their best to move them out of the way and let them be decomposed into the soil. All of these animals had a special part in helping with lifting heavy loads. They were all used around the world and are still used today for farming, but elephants were commonly used to clear brush and make a path for the soldiers to walk on. Next, of course, we have dogs. And I mean, are any of us actually surprised by this one? Dogs were used in France. They were using them for different reasons depending on their training. Some were trained to snip out wounded or dead soldiers, and some dogs carried medicine and bandages to camps and bases for the soldiers. Imagine getting your leg blown off and then having a cute dog bring you bandages. I'm telling you, if I want to lose a leg, that's the way I want to lose it. Now, once again, we aren't really surprised by this one. Government spybirds, aka pigeons. A hundred thousand pigeons were used in France. They were commonly used in World War I as messenger birds. They carried important telegrams under their wings to an assigned recipient safely and effectively, and they always flew back home when they were released. To increase that probability, troops made sure that the pigeons' nests were in the places they needed to send messages often. Imagine sending love letters via pigeon. What if the bird sent, sent the letter to the wrong side chick? Get it? Side chick? Emphasis on chick? Ha, very funny, but that was a very bad joke. Also, a shocking yet kind of understandable animal used in World War I was a baboon. This baboon had incredible hearing and eyesight. Now isn't that fascinating? This baboon would warn soldiers by screaming and jumping around when there was danger on its way. This animal was a South African soldier. As you can tell, animals played a huge role in fighting in the war. Alright, so that's it for today's episode. Don't forget to come back next week to hear about the most dangerously cute animals on the planet. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Welcome to the World War One Podcast. My name is Roberto, and next to me is Ariana. And today we will be talking about the weapons used in World War One. More importantly, how they impacted warfare and the war in general. Today we will be talking about five different weapons, some of which were brand new inventions and caused massive havoc. The first weapon we will be talking about will be U-boats, and Ariana will tell us more about U-boats. The U-boats invented by Germans were around 200 feet long and could carry 35 men and had 12 torpedoes. The U-boats were especially popular in World War One, and it gave Germany an edge. The U-boats were hard to locate and it was difficult to attack them when found. They were used to make holes in the ships 
and this method was effective to prevent the supplies from reaching their destination, especially if the ships carried weapons. At the time, Germany had unrestricted submarine warfare policy, meaning that they would attack any ship around the waters of Britain. German U-boats decided to attack the Lusitania on May 7, 1950, with a British ship passenger line. That attack against the HMS Lusitania killed nearly 1,200 men, women, and children. This included the 128 Americans on the ship. This effect, event impacted World War I tremendously on the U.S., and the U.S. later used this event to get involved in the Great War. The machine gun was another weapon used in World War I. The first machine gun was created at least 30 years before World War I in 1884 by Hiram and Maxim. Machine guns allowed children to directly shoot at the enemy at the rate of 400 to 600 bullets in a minute. The early form of the machine guns required at least three to five people to operate since it was heavy. Machine guns will eventually be added to other types of vehicles such as submarines, airplanes, and tanks. The machine gun helped increase the casualties in World War I. Uh, the machine gun was a pretty important deal because this would cause nations to create even more weapons with the purpose to kill as many enemies as possible. It was soon seen as whoever had the bigger gun would win. From a very fast and reliable weapon, we switched to something slower and less reliable but still dangerous. Tanks were actually invented during the middle of World War I in the first battle in which they used 31 out of 49 tanks that were deployed were able to cross German lines. The tanks used during World War I were slow and were still vulnerable to machine guns and direct hits from artillery rounds. The tanks also suffered from inexperienced crews and its newness made it happen, made it hard to incorporate with other infantry. Although tanks impacted the wars that would follow on, the impact of tanks in World War I isn't great. The limited capabilities and less reliability prevent the tanks from becoming a major impact in World War I. The next weapon, however, caused havoc within the battlefield in World War I. Mustard gas was first introduced in 1917 by the Germans. Before the Germans had invented mustard gas, tear gas was most commonly used during World War I. Mustard gas was a mustard color and had the smell similar to garlic. Once the chemical comes in contact with your skin, it burns the skin and causes blisters to ooze with yellow fluid, and it's symptomless, but when the skin starts to irritate, it's too late to treat it. The mortality rate was 2 to 3%. And the people who survived the gas were thought to have a higher risk of cancer in the future. The impact of mustard gas was that they saw the true horrors of chemical warfare. Soon, many countries would agree that chemical warfare should not be used. We've went from underwater to land with different weapons, and now it's time to go in the air with World War I airplanes. The first successful flight was in 1903, almost 50 years before World War I. However, the airplanes that were used in World War I were much more advanced, even though a short amount of time. The biggest flaw in earlier airplane usage was inexperience. Most soldiers would get a few hours of training before going off on a mission. This was how the demand this was because the demand for pilots was exponentially increasing. At the start of World War I, airplanes were used for reconnaissance because of the trench warfare. The planes would fly over and gather information from beyond the enemy lines. The planes would take pictures of enemy positions, however, this was a quite dangerous job because you had to fly straight and steady. This would make you an easy target. Airplanes would soon carry weapons on them and create a new style of fighting, dogfighting. Thank you for listening to our podcast about the weapons in World War I. We enjoyed talking to you guys about the different weapons that were used during World War I and the effects that those weapons had. We hope that you had enjoyed today's topic on the weapons in World War I and stay tuned for our next podcast.
Hey, thanks for tuning in to Stuff You Should Know About World War One. It's Tanner. And I'm Donovan. Today's episode, How Trenches Saved the World. So we'll be talking about the important role that trenches played during the war, completely changing combat as we knew it. Let's first explain what trenches really were. They typically be long ditches dug into the ground where soldiers would live. They were cesspools of mud and were filled with overflowing toilets, generally not somewhere you'd want to be. Due to the poor living conditions within the trenches, some soldiers developed medical conditions such as trench foot. On one side of the field, there were the German trenches, and on the other side, there would be the Allies. The area between them would be known as no-man's lands, and soldiers would actually attack it, like, across it to try to take the other side's fortifications. So trench warfare in World War I was used mostly on the Western Front, which was an area of northern France and Belgium that saw combat between German troops and Allied forces from France, Great Britain, and later the United States. The trenches would mostly hold basic infantry and serve to protect them from advancing weapons such as the machine gun and artillery attacks. Along with these, the usage of chemical weapons had become widespread during the war, and the trenches were often thought to offer some degree of protection against deadly exposure. At the initial start of the war, mounted troops and bayonets were still commonplace. They'd be used to charge across no man's land in hopes, again, of capturing enemy fortifications. As the troops were trapped in the trenches for long periods of time, under constant bombardment and fire, many soldiers suffered from shell shock, which is a mental illness that is today known as post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Many of the trenches also had pests living in them. This would include frogs, rats, and lice. Rats in particular were a problem because they would eat the soldiers' food, as well as actually bite some of the soldiers while they slept. Okay, so far we've covered the conditions and the importance of the trenches. Now let's talk about an interesting event that occurred during the first Christmas of the war. During the first Christmas of the war, in some parts of the Western Front, soldiers from both sides actually put down their weapons and met on no man's land on Christmas Eve. They sang carols like Silent Night, and men from both sides gave gifts to each other. The Germans gave sausages to the British, and the British gave the Germans chocolates. On Christmas Day, it said that a British soldier kicked a football or soccer ball out of his trench into no man's land, and the Germans would later go in to like, play a game. It was reported that Germany won the match 3-2. to two. Now, the British High Command didn't agree with the truce. They even suggested that the Germans were planning to launch an attack, but they were ignored and no guns were fired during the holidays. This truce would last until New Year's in some parts of the Western Front, but it wasn't long until both sides had to return to their duties in the trenches. In conclusion, trenches played a large part in World War I. They introduced new tactics of warfare and fighting. They also kept soldiers protected from hazardous gases and weapons even though they weren't the cleanest areas. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Bye. Welcome back to Herstory Friday, the podcast where we explore specific parts of history. I'm Lytle. I'm Bree, and today we are going to be discussing the art of World War I. When starting this little journey of this topic, I know I thought that it would be difficult because why would anyone be focused on art during wartime? But one of the sources we used to collect our information made a great point. War affects every aspect of society, and while art may not be a huge part of society, it was still impacted by the war. So there are two ways to look at this next point. How did the war affect the art, and how did the art affect the war? One way the war affected the art was how the artists would depict the mass destruction that was caused by the war. However, there is also another side to that question. There was something called the Dada movement, which focused on the effect of human emotion, logic, and reason being the main cause of the war.
The Dada movement was a movement that began in Switzerland. It said that the war was caused by valuing essentially the brain over the heart. This greatly affected art types such as poetry, painting, and music. This movement came directly from the conceptual art movement. The war created a very sad coat to all the artwork that was being created. With war comes death, loneliness, and fear, so it was hard to focus on the positives for everyone, especially artists who are seen as naturally more emotional than the average person. The Dada movement focused much less on the aesthetic of the art and instead reflected the true depictions of the war and the twisted honesty of the war. The two most commonly used forms in the Dada movement were Impressionism and Postmodernism. Impressionism is a style or movement in painting originating in France in the 1960s, characterized by a concern with depicting the visual impression of the moment, especially in terms of the shifting effect of light and color. Postmodernism is a late 20th century style and concept in the arts, architecture, and criticism that represents a departure from modernism and has its heart a general distrust of grand theories and ideologies, as well as a problematic relationship with any notion of art. Both of those definitions came from Oxford Dictionary. Impressionism was expressed by an Irish artist named William Orphan. During World War I, he was the most prolific on the official war artists sent to the Western Front, according to Tate.org. Marcel Dunchamp was a postmodernist artist. He created one piece of artwork titled New Descending a Staircase, which I would describe as abstract given that it is rather difficult to decipher what is being depicted in the image. This showed the more Cuban and European perspective on the war, according to Tate.org. So, to sum it all up, art was an important part of World War I, but it reflected the overall emotion of the war by the sad depictions. The Dada movement was a belief about the beginning of the war that strongly affected the war. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Herstory. September 16th, 1916. If you have never tuned in here before, we are the Tea Party Radio Station, where we've been spilling all the tea since it happened in Boston. Every day, we talk about the latest news, trends, and gossip. So right before the break, we were discussing our opinions on wool being used to make boots rather than... Crystal, um, sorry for the interruption, but I was just reading the paper and something caught my attention. Take a look. Britain is taking the war to a whole new level. Tanks, the newest innovation of the war. Man, that is a nasty looking machine. For any of you who don't know, on September 6, 1915, France came up with a prototype of a tank and it wasn't a huge success as it often got stuck in the trenches. Well, apparently the ocean between Britain and France ain't stopping nobody. These allies began working together to make this invention even better. Does it say anything about what either side is saying? All it says is Britain is kicking up the game when they brought their tanks onto the scene at Delville Wood. This invention has definitely been improved since France came up with the idea, as these machines can still break through barbed wire and clear pathways for soldiers. If any of you can spare a few cents today, I encourage you to take a look at today's paper. We could do a little recap on the war that has brought us up to this point. So Emma and I have followed the war since it's been declared and have always spilled the tea about any news we've gotten so far. Do you want to tell the people about the alliances? Most of you have heard about the Central Powers, which consisted of Germany, Austria-Hungary, the Ottoman Empire, and Bulgaria. 
The other alliances you've probably heard of is the Allied Powers, who were Britain, Russia, France, Italy, and the United States. But it wasn't always this way from the start. There were a few other geographical alliances that has contributed to the war at this point, including the Triple Entente, which were the countries of Britain, France, and Russia, while the other was the Triple Alliance, which was Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Italy. There were also a few other small ones during this time. One of them was the Three Emperors League. This alliance was made up of Bismarck, Austria, Hungary, and Russia. Russia had another alliance with Germany during this time that neither Bismarck nor Russia knew about. In the end, Bismarck, Russia, Austria, Hungary, and Germany had all agreed to support each other in wartime. Before the war, Germany was scared that its surrounding countries, hashtag particularly France, would try to destroy them because of the quarrel they had with France over Alsace-Lorraine, which resulted in the alliances mentioned. Dang, and I thought our crew was keeping secrets. After these secret alliances were made, they were put into action after it all started going down on June 28, 1914, when Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. At this time, he was in Sarajevo, and that was basically what sparked the entire war to start. Everyone was on their heels until July 30, 1914, when the Russian military invaded Austria-Hungary as a favor to Serbia. That's cold. They had an alliance together, but honestly, if you want to take somebody down, they should be looking at your face as they go. I completely agree. I don't think somebody else should do your dirty work, but if you want to know what's even colder, then Germany had the nerve to invade Belgium, which really took some people off. They done went and really got themselves in this war. Well, that could not have been as bad as all the gas that was spilled. More than the tea that stains on this show, German soldiers fired the chlorine gas at the Allied lines. There was plenty of gas already in the war with all the men involved, but this was the first time it was used negatively in battle. This caused almost everyone and everything at the French border to collapse. Emma, at least all these people, after all that, Germany got ahead. I really can't do that because it didn't happen. All the trouble and they did not even get the advantage. I bet all those soldiers were like, and uh, oop. To those of you who are listening, you're probably thinking, how is that even possible? Well, Emma is telling the truth. Germany didn't get ahead, but as a result, this caused more conflict. Germany's navy was ordered to the station of the Atlantic Ocean, which the orders were given to not allow any boats or submarine to pass through. At this point, the United States started to get really angry. Americans don't like it when you mess with their mama, their food, or what makes them happy. Well, this affected their food and what made them happy. With no ships being able to go through, this stopped all trade with European countries. This wasn't even the worst part. On May 7, 1915, Germany torpedoed a passenger boat that belonged to Britain. This boat was the Lusitania, and when it sank, over a thousand people died, including 123 Americans. And that was it. The United States said, you killed our people, we gonna kill you. To make things even worse, William B. Prince was printing maps of deadly innovations, trench and U-boat attacks, and attacking the troops that normally had the disadvantage when proceeding somebody else's land. But this, when this was printed, it took away all the ignorance and now how the land was laid out. Well, Crystal, I believe it's time to give the people a break. When we come back, we're going to tell you a bit more about the war. S-K-S-K-S-K! somehow the nobility which in us had been turned toward destruction could be used in them for creation if the courage which we had dedicated to war could be employed by them on behalf of peace then the future might indeed see the redemption of man instead of his further descent into chaos vera britain english voluntary aid nurse 1933 welcome to history unlimited today's discussion will be centered around the great war for soldiers the fighting rarely ever stopped at the battlefield Conditions on the field, especially in the trenches, were horrific. 
disease spread easily and efficiently among those fighting. Wounds were routinely became infected because of poor sanitation. However, World War I was a revolutionary time for all kinds of medical practices. Today, we have a very special guest here to teach us exactly how revolutionary these new medical practices were. So, what was your experience on the battlefield? As a nursing sister, I was responsible for overseeing the wards and looking after patients in their care. We would carry out orders from medical staff, administer medicines, and dress wounds. We were also tasked with supervising meals, preparation of treatments. Uh, nurses worked from sunup to sundown and barely got any sleep. However, this did not bother many of us. The conditions were cold and sometimes rainy, but we were content with just helping the soldiers. Wow. What do you think about the war as a whole? What role do you think medicine played for you, both the Axis and the Allies? Our first goal was to establish hospitals near military bases. They were mobilized and staffed with support from the Red Cross. Some were assigned to support British Army because near the beginning, Americans weren't part of the war. I believe medicine played a massive role for both sides. There were just a few injuries that couldn't be cured using our techniques such as chest or head wounds. So that meant that people could go back and fight after rehabilitation. So what about, so how did all these innovations change the world at large? Well, we discovered many new ways of treating the injured. Our doctors discovered new methods to treat burns, tissue damage, and contagious diseases. We perfected blood transfusion through the use of blood typing and even creating a few blood banks. X-rays were also used on the battlefield to locate bullets and diagnose facial injuries. Countries were able to improve their hospitals and medicine for that's incredibly remarkable. It seems, even though people were killing each other more efficiently than ever, there was still a sense of humanity on the battlefield. Would you like to add any closing remarks on your experience? Overall, nursing in the war wasn't easy and it wasn't fun. We slept very little and worked from dusk to dawn, but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I feel that the medical innovations that were discovered during my time made a huge impact on medicine in the years to come. It's incredibly important to remember humanitarian work during times of war. Both sides suffered tremendous losses. Families lost their fathers, their brothers, their sons. Just because we have the power to destroy others does not mean that we should. If anything, the power of nations are given should be gauged by their ability to show love and compassion even in places such as the battlefield. Thank you.